you, Linda. God's timing, right? He does it in his time, and he does it right, and that's why we trust in him. Children, you may be dismissed to young disciples. If you're new here and you've got a child with you, age K through 6, our children's program is right down the hall. We invite you to go out with the kids and with your kid so you can see where they're going and meet Pastor Spring, our children's minister, and uh, just find out a little bit more about the program and then come back in and join us. Hopefully I'll ramble for three or four minutes and then you won't miss any of the message. And so uh, we are, just want to make a few more notes to you this morning as the kids are heading out. Uh, on May the 4th, we are going to do something we've never done before. We are going to have a full kids awards night. And uh, our church calendar sort of goes from the end of August all the way till the beginning of May, which is sort of the school calendar year that we have our Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings programs going. And way back in August, all of the kids of the church were given, uh, were given tasks to complete, things to learn, things to uh, hide deep in their heart. And they've been working on those all year long with their teachers, both on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings and in children's church. And so we're going to have awards, an awards night on May 4th celebrating the accomplishments of our kids. And you are all invited. We would love for you to come and celebrate our kids and celebrate their accomplishments so they feel connected to the entire church body, uh, not just the ones who are, are part of that children's program. So that Wednesday night, May the 4th, come and have a party with us and celebrate our kids, and they're going deeper with their knowledge of the Lord and the things of God. Uh, it's a great way to show the kids of this church that we love them, and that we affirm them, and that they are on the right track serving the Lord. And so we would love all of you to be there. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to be a parent. We would just love you to come and celebrate. Uh, bring a couple of throat lozenges so you can scream the whole time, and uh, we'll go from there. Also, you'll notice in the lobby today, we have uh, the stuff out, our, our, our boards out for our Mexico Topeka missions team that's going in July again today. Uh, that's out because we would love for everybody in the congregation to partner with that missions trip to become a sponsor to at least one of the persons, people who are going in July. So today, we would love for you, after you leave today, to stop by and, and take a look at the folks who are going on the trip. There's a three-month commitment you can make uh, to pray and financially uh, with these people, and it's not a set commitment, so you can commit anything that you can financially towards folks, but we would love for you to have some skin in the game, if you will, with our team that's going to Mexico, and listen, if you don't have two nickels to rub together right now, they have told us, please, have people sign up to do sponsorships of prayer. Uh, it's not just about money. You know, God's going to supply the funds for this team to go. We, when God calls you to do it, it gets done. And so if, uh, if you're not in a place right now to do it financially, that's cool. But you need to sponsor somebody in prayer and, and be praying for health and for strength and for God to build them up and to create in them that, that powerful ministry tool that he's going to use in Topeka this year. Uh, we have had a wonderful time as a church partnering with with uh, Pastor Josh Rice and his wife Julie and La Fuente Ministries in the past five years. We're only going to continue that partnership and help La Fuente as they, uh, as they build more churches in Mexico. And so uh, what a great opportunity for our team and what a great opportunity for our church moving forward. And then one more thing before I have you open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 today. For those of you young adults who maybe have not got plugged in with FM, you're in that 18 to 30 age range, and you have not got plugged in with our young adult ministry, maybe you work Wednesday nights, uh, Pastor Otto and the team would like me to announce that there is now a Sunday morning opportunity for young adults here at the church in the young adult room. About 9.15, 9.30, show up there on 
on Sunday morning. They're going to call it Common Grounds because there will be coffee. It is the Christian drug of choice. And so uh, we just invite you, if you're a young adult who maybe hasn't met Pastor Otto and, and his wife Buffy yet, if you have not uh, had an opportunity to come on a Wednesday, come on a Sunday. It's super laid back and just enjoy some coffee, study the Bible, chat, and just enjoy that young adult room that's been transformed. So lots of neat stuff going on, right? Lots of things to be excited about. And uh, I'm just, I'm really excited about what God has for us in the coming uh, months here in the spring and into the summer. Why don't you turn with me this morning to Acts chapter 2. And I wrote this sermon two weeks ago as a follow-up to my Easter Sunday sermon. And then the flu bug hit. And I didn't get to share it with you. And I thank Pastor CJ uh, for filling in last week. I had called him early in the morning and said, CJ, I'm going to need you to baptize. I can't get in the tank with the flu. And he goes, what is wrong with you? Stay home. And uh, he did not want me to come and infect all of you with the stomach flu. And so thank you to Pastor CJ for your wisdom. Thank you for preaching on the fly. Thank you for baptizing on the fly. And thank you for telling me to stay home because I was really sick. And so I missed you. Yeah, thank you. I missed you guys last week, and uh, it was so good even to get back in the building today and to be able to pray with our, our Sunday school teachers before Sunday school this morning. It was, it was good to be back. I want to talk today about the other side of what was taking place on the day of Pentecost. We were talking on Easter Sunday about that first preached message that was ever preached after Christ rose from the dead. And we were talking about the message that Peter gave that day and the fact that it was a major response to the resurrection. But there is another factor in that day. There was another thing going on in Acts chapter 2 that was just as important. Uh, I shouldn't, maybe not just as important, maybe just slightly below the importance. I don't think there's anything more important than the resurrection. But, but right there, part and parcel with the resurrection that was taking place there in Acts chapter 2 that is so important to the life of God's church and God's people that I'd be remiss if I didn't go back and now tell the other half of the story of the response to the resurrection. I've entitled today's sermon, The Father's Promise, and you're going to see why. So I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to go right to the end of that message that Peter preached. And right to the end of that moment where he's standing with that huge crowd that he's, that's gathered and he's telling them that Jesus Christ has died for your sins and he's risen from the dead and he is both Lord and Messiah, the anointed one from God and the people are going to respond to Peter's message and that's where we're going to start today as we talk about the promise of the Father. Verse 37. Now when the people heard this, that is the message from Peter, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Now, let's just stop right there. We'll have a number of other passages to look at today. But I want to focus on some of the wording from verse 38 and 39. Now, Peter says to them initially when they recognize that they have erred in not coming to Jesus to this point, hey, folks, it's time to repent and be baptized. 
But those are terms that we've sort of seen before when you read the Gospels. John the Baptist was preaching a baptism of repentance, which means to turn your life over to God, to to admit that, that you have sinned and that you've been astray from God, and then you're baptized and you declare your new allegiance to God and that you're washed clean. Except this time, it's important to note that the baptism that's happening is in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, people could now be forgiven for their sins from God the Father. It wasn't just about having good intentions anymore. It was the actual fact that Jesus had carried the sins of humanity on the cross that day and made it possible for people to truly be forgiven by the Father in heaven. So he says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus. But then he says something that I want to focus on today. He says, and I want you to receive (coughs) the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. Now that's a really interesting statement. Because up to this point, there had been people who repented and turned to Jesus. There had been people who had been baptized. But until that very day, people weren't being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's something altogether different. What gathered the crowd that day that Peter was preaching on is that 120 of Jesus' disciples were praying in an upper room. And they were doing so because Jesus had told them that they needed to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. When the Holy Spirit did come upon this group of 120 of Jesus' closest disciples, they began to speak in tongues, in other languages, and they spilled out into the streets, proclaiming what Jesus had done in dozens of different languages. They were given a supernatural gift in that moment to proclaim the deeds of God in languages that people from all over the Roman world could understand. It was a tremendous miracle. So as the crowd gathers, something, something crazy is going on because they're hearing the wonders of God proclaimed in their own language. And Peter interprets what is taking place on that day. Back up 20 verses now in chapter 2 to verse 17. You know what, let's even go to verse 16 because it'll give us a little bit better context. He says, folks, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. That's what he says is going on here to the people. He says, you're hearing the wonders of God proclaimed in your own language in a miraculous way. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. It says, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Say, all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and they will prophesy. So this tremendous, miraculous moment where 120 people are filled with God's Holy Spirit, are filled in their inner person with God's, uh, part of God's own triune nature. They're filled with God himself to be able to do the works of God himself. Peter stands up and goes, this shouldn't surprise you. Because God has declared that as the last days of the earth are coming, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on who? All flesh. God is inaugurating something new here today, says Peter. 
a day and an age where all the people who call on the name of Jesus will then have God dwelling in, with, and through them. This he calls the promise of the Father. This he calls a gift for all. Now, why does he call it a gift way down there in verse 38 and 39? Why does he call that the Holy Spirit would dwell with us a gift? Well, if you read the scriptures from Genesis forward, the idea of God dwelling inside, with, through human beings, that doesn't happen a lot. In fact, in the Jewish mindset, and because it's the way that God had set it up, the concept of where God dwelled on earth was in his temple, in his tabernacle, if you will, in the place where he called his name to uh, be glorified. That's where the Spirit of God dwelled on earth. By the time the Jewish people had erected their tabernacle and then their temple, they, they had created a place called the Holy of Holies. There was a big, old, huge veil in front of it, and only the high priest of the nation of Israel could go into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, Yeah, the same Indiana Jones Ark of the Covenant. That Ark of the Covenant, where that Ark of the Covenant was, that is where God said his spirit was going to dwell on earth. Only the high priest could go there. And the closer you got to the Holy of Holies in the temple, the more clean, the more pure, the more right, the more more set apart and sanctified you had to be. Because the closer you got to God, if you weren't, he'd smite you. Because God's spirit can't dwell with sinful people. So much so that the high priest had to go through so much ritual cleansing and so much purification and so much repentance of sins that they were still terrified for his life. When he'd go into the Holy of Holies where the Spirit of God dwelled, they'd put a rope around his foot just in case. He'd wear bells. So if the bells stopped jingling, they'd know, better pull the rope. Because God's Holy Spirit can't dwell with sinful people. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't moments in the Old Testament where God decided even still to use people and it said his Holy Spirit was in them or worked through them. But there's only three people in the entire Old Testament who said it was observed that the Holy Spirit was in them. Think about that. Only three people did it say that the Holy Spirit was in them. Joseph of the stories of Genesis, Joshua, and Daniel. A few of the judges, it were said, what it was said, were empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what they were supposed to do. There were times in the Old Testament where it said prophets spoke by means of the Holy Spirit. And in one case, and this is a sermon all unto itself, in one case it said that the workman who was putting things together for the tabernacle was given his gifts through the Holy Spirit. But that's it. You ever read through the Old Testament? It's a big book. But, and that's it. Those are the only people that it is said that the Holy Spirit moved in or through or worked in. So when God chose to supernaturally come upon a person in this tremendously spiritual way, it was a leader. It was somebody who was moving forward the concept of God's salvation history. But the Holy Spirit also didn't remain on them forever. It was closed. And once again, in the mindset of God's people, the Jewish people, the Spirit of God didn't dwell inside of humans. The Holy Spirit of God dwelled in the tabernacle, in the temple, 
in the Holy of Holies above the cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant. That's where the Spirit of God was located. So what changed? What changed? What changed that God prophesied hundreds if not thousands of years earlier that the Holy Spirit would come upon all flesh? And what has changed here in Acts chapter 2 that Peter has the audacity to say, this gift of the Holy Spirit is for everybody now? What's taken place? Well, there was an expectation that Jesus would send the Holy Spirit. That was laid down from the earliest parts of the Gospels. Up on the screen, you're going to see Mark chapter 1, verse 8. Mark chapter 1, verse 8 says, uh, from the mouth and the words of John the Baptist, I baptized you with water, but he, the one that is coming, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So there was an expectation before Jesus even began his ministry that in some way, Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord, the anointed one, would pour out his Holy Spirit on all people. Jesus himself claimed that he would do it. John chapter 14, verse 23 says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he'll teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. So Jesus said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, when you but you, Jesus said to his disciples, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And even before we get to verse 37 and 38 of Acts chapter 2, comes verse 32. Peter said, and we read this last week, this Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of the Father, and Jesus having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured it out so that you can see and so that you can hear. So Peter says it's done. It's done. The thing that was prophesied in Joel... It happened in Jesus. The thing that Jesus promised us would happen, it's happened. The thing that John the Baptist foretold, it's happened. Today is the day that the Holy Spirit no longer just resides in people who would be considered leaders. The Holy Spirit no longer resides in some location called the Holy of Holies. The Holy Spirit now resides in all the people of God. What changed? What changed? What changed everything was the cross. That's what changed. We mentioned earlier that the, that the Holy Spirit of God, the, the very righteous Spirit of God, can't dwell in sinful human beings. But what if sin was erased? Could the Holy Spirit dwell with us then? What if God had atoned? Atone means to cover over. What if God could cover over our sins? Could the Holy Spirit of God dwell with us then? One more passage on our circuitous route along the Bible, and it's Matthew 27, 50 and 51. It's a scene from the crucifixion of the Lord. He is on the cross, and he is going to die for the sins of humanity so that each person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ would now be considered washed clean by the blood of the Lamb this is what happened on the cross, Matthew 27, 50 and 51. It said, Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice, and he breathed his last. 
And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That's the curtain into the Holy of Holies. It was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The moment Jesus died, the curtain of the temple that would keep the Holy Spirit of God back from the people was rent in two. And in symbolic, but also in literal fashion, the Holy Spirit was released upon the earth in a way that could not have happened prior to the death of Jesus. Jesus had fulfilled the righteous obligations of the law. Jesus had made a way for human beings to be declared righteous in his name. And now the Holy Spirit just needed willing souls now to fill up, to begin to do the work of God. That's what took place on the cross. That's why it says when Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God, when he ascended into heaven, God the Father looked at God the Son and said, you can send the Holy Spirit now. Because people are righteous in my eyes. You paid the price for their sin. That's what changed. And that's why the Holy Spirit is a gift. We couldn't have earned God's presence in our lives. We certainly couldn't earn salvation. That's what every church for 2,000 years of Jesus Christ is based on. The idea that we couldn't earn salvation, Christ had to do it for us. We could not have had the Holy Spirit of God come into our lives and dwell with us if not for the cross of Jesus Christ. Only he could make it possible for God to dwell with human beings. That was the Father's promise from Joel, that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon all flesh. But how was that going to happen unless sin was erased? You say, Pastor Matt, you have been leading us on a circuitous theological route this morning. I know. But it's important stuff for us to know. It's important things for us to recognize that God had such an elaborate but also such a powerful plan by which he was going to pour his spirit back into human beings. And part of that, most of it, all of it, had to do with the concept of Jesus erasing our sins so that God could come and dwell with us. That is a gift, and that is the promise of the Father. Why am I telling you about it today? Because the gift is for all. For all. Look at our key verses once again. Look back down to verses 38 and 39 of chapter 2. He says, let's just look at chapter verse 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. That's who the promise is for. Not just Joseph and Joshua and Daniel and a few of the prophets. But for all people, that's who God wants to pour his spirit upon from this point forward. The problem that so many of us have when it comes to accepting this gift and operating in this gift is we believe that it is somehow inaccessible to us. That God's presence leading and directing our lives is somehow something only for the spiritual people, for the leaders among us. 
But God inaugurated the age of his church with the Peter preaching to the masses, all flesh, this Holy Spirit is for. We were talking in new members class about the concept of a kingdom of God mentality just about an hour ago. And there's a lot of times in churches where people will say things like, I'm so glad that the Spirit of God is leading and directing the leaders of our church. But to have a kingdom of God mentality like we want here, we as the leaders of the church want to be able to say, we are so glad that the Spirit of God is leading and directing our people in their spheres of influence. That's what was being inaugurated that day. Not just the power of God to come upon the apostles to found the church, but the power of God to come upon anybody who calls on the name of Jesus so that the effective will of God on earth would go to every continent, every nation, every tribe, and every tongue that people might know that there is salvation in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what was taking place on that day. The Holy Spirit was no longer being, being held just for the leaders or, or your presence could only come in, you could only come into that presence if you were the high priest. But everybody could come into the presence of God and have the presence of God come to dwell with them. We as Christians should not be thinking, I'm so glad that the Holy Spirit directs Billy Graham and Rick Warren and Francis Chan. We should be going, I am so glad that the Holy Spirit directs me guides me, leads me, empowers me, gifts me. I love the prophecy from Joel because he doesn't start with like us, you know, the kids went away, now we have serious church up here. What does he say? Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. He starts with the kids because the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on even the children, verse 39 of Acts chapter 2. The promises for even children that the Holy Spirit can dwell in and use. And I love that, that, that if, we, if we go back up to that prophecy from Joel, he says, even on slaves, slaves in the first century A.D., no rights, no property, devalued as human beings, even on slaves I'll pour out my spirit, both men and women. Age socioeconomic status, gender, race, all erased in one moment by Father God. That's what all flesh means. And that doesn't just mean the spiritual people. That means you. You know, people read Matthew, uh, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and following, and the first beatitude is what? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And when you read that, just, just in a reading in your home, you might think, blessed are those who are depressed, you know, poor in spirit. But there is a, there is a history behind those beatitudes in terms of the way Bible scholars have always interpreted it. And it wasn't interpreted that way. They interpreted it in the earliest days of the church are blessed are those who don't think they're very spiritual, who are, who are poor in spirit. You have to understand that message that day, 
uh, uh, in, in Matthew chapter 5, those Beatitudes, that was preached to what was called the Am Haaretz, the people of the land, the really poor people who were farmers of their very own little piece of the earth who would never get out of their poverty. He was preaching to them, blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Those of you who don't think you're all so spiritual, listen, you're blessed. God's going to use you. Now you say, Pastor Matt, you say this as a pastor, you do spiritual stuff all the time. No, I don't. I watched the Cavs lose last night. (laughs) I am not in some ivory tower with quill and pen and parchment paper writing out psalms to the Lord every day. In in fact, I have to tell you, when when I I, uh, felt the call into the pastorate, one of my biggest fears was becoming a spiritual person. Because to me, spiritual meant weird. Because I'd met some weird spiritual people. <laughs> I was afraid that I'd no longer be able to tell jokes, have fun, be the life of a party or two. If the Spirit of God were to come on me the way it said, the Bible says it can come on people. And I recognized that I didn't recognize then, I recognize now that God had me right where he wanted me because I was poor in spirit. I had a spiritual inferiority complex. Those are the people God wants to use. People who don't think they're religious. People who aren't convinced that they are super spiritual those folks when god pours his holy spirit into their lives they're changed forever because they're a blank canvas for god to write on that's what god wants to do in you you who say i can't be spiritual i'm i can't pray I, i i can't lead my family the way some of these other folks lead their family i can't minister to my co-workers the way some of these other people minister their co-workers you know what i say to that wrong but good you're right where god wants you because he wants to take you today and speak into your ear and say i said And I wasn't trying to be spiritual by that. That was just a, that was not like, I I didn't feel like the Holy Spirit was, anyhow. So, (laughs) he he meant you. He meant you. You don't want to be weird? Don't worry about that. You already are. (laughs) You're already weird. Okay? You know what? When God, and and, and now all the super spiritual people are going to yell Amen. When God makes you weird, that's a good type of weird. See, there they are, all the super spiritual people. They all sit over here, right? No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Right? When God begins to use you the way he can and the way he desires to, that is such a gift. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and begins to use you in ways that you couldn't even imagine being used before, you recognize that it's a gift from your Father. He sent his son not only so that your sins would be erased, but that you would have meaning and purpose being directed by his spirit the rest of your life. That's what he meant for you. That's a gift. 
That's the promise of the Father. It doesn't end at the sinner's prayer, folks. It begins at the sinner's prayer. For those of you who don't know what the sinner's prayer is, that's what Christians for a long time have called that prayer where you commit your life to Christ. It doesn't begin there. Or it just begins there. It doesn't end there. He wants his Holy Spirit to come upon you and begin to use you to do the things that God puts you on this earth to do. God's whispering in your ear today saying, listen, I said all flesh, and maybe you should be open to what Pastor Matt's talking about. I want to encourage you today, allow God to awaken your spiritual man or woman. Allow God to do that. That takes place in the place of prayer. That takes place in a place of humility, knees on the ground, bent before the Lord. That takes place when you say, God, I'm at the end of myself. I am a blank canvas. Begin to write your story of my life. It takes humility to say, God, I want you to take control. I'll tell you, the day that I asked God to take control was the greatest day of my life. I'd already been baptized, folks. I'd been in the church my whole life, but there was a day where I said, Holy Spirit, take control. Do with me what you will. That changed everything. And it can change everything for us. Let God awaken your spiritual man or woman. Begin to pray before like you've never prayed. Make it an expectation every day that when you come into the house of God that this is a place of prayer. Make it an expectation that your house is a place for the Spirit of God to move and dwell. Let God awaken your spiritual man or woman. Prophets were people who spoke and acted for God. And that's what Peter says from Joel chapter, Joel chapter 3, that, or here in Acts chapter 2, from Joel chapter 3, that we become. We become, when we come to Jesus Christ, people who speak and act for God now. There was a problem, and it's part of the problem that Jesus took care of on the cross. We can't do that on our own. And we can't do that in our own strength. And that's why God had to send his Holy Spirit. Church is not about becoming a better person. It's becoming the person God designed you to be. That's what church is about. You might become a better person along the way. I hope, I hope you do. I hope I do too. But church is about becoming the person that God designed you to be. And that has nothing to do with trying to do more or trying to do better. Only God's Holy Spirit leading and directing your life can help you to become the person God designed you to be. God's calling out to some of you today. Some of you who have never sort of released this moment. You've prayed that prayer, you've sung those songs, and you've been baptized, but you have never said, Holy Spirit, I surrender. But there's also a strong contingent of folks in the room today that your life is not very submitted to what God wants you to do. You do go to church, you do try to do right, you do read your Bible on occasion, but this gift from the Father is not an operation. It's not going on because your prayer life is maybe a little bit non-existent. And asking God's spirit to touch your spirit maybe hasn't happened in a little time. Well, there's no condemnation in that this morning. In fact, 
God would be honored by our humility today to say, for all of us to say, Holy Spirit, I'm open to you. Whether I prayed for three hours this morning or whether I haven't prayed in three months, Holy Spirit, I'm open to you. Part of the gift of the Father in salvation is that I now get to be led, to be guided by you. I want to just operate in my Father's promise today. Just operate in his gift. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Elders, if you'll come, take your places in the altar. Here at VLC, we always have a time of prayer and commitment to end our services. And we believe that there's power in moving towards God. We believe that there's strength in the symbolic act of kneeling before God. And we also believe, according to James chapter 5, that the elders, the leaders of the church are tasked with praying over God's people. And so that's what we're going to do today for just a few moments before we close. But today, if today's a day to pray for you, because you recognize that you desire God's spirit, that gift that he has for you, to awaken, to be there more than it is today. I want you to join me in this altar today. I'd like you to come. If you want an elder to pray for you, go stand in front of one, and he will. And if you don't want an elder to pray for you and you just want to pray, you come kneel at this altar or come stand at this altar and just pray, and they won't get in your face. But we just want to have a time of prayer because I believe there are folks today who just need to say, Holy Spirit, move. I accept that gift today. I'd like to be prayed for. I'd like to pray and submit my life to God's direction once more. I also want to open these altars today to those who are sick in body and who have need. We want to pray for you today and use this time as the Lord would direct. But I'm just going to invite you today, if God's speaking into your life, as I begin to pray, you come. I'm going to pray in just a moment. If God's speaking to you, you come. And don't be nervous or scared about what people are going to think about you. You just move towards God and say, God, I'm just going to pray with you today. I'm just going to pray with you today here in this altar. Would you pray with me? And as I pray, you can come. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given us. We thank you for the gift of salvation. Holy moly that we are made right with God through his son who died for our sins. But just as much today, we thank you, God, that when we give our lives to Christ Jesus, you now want to direct and lead and guide us. Thank you that you made a way for the Holy Spirit of God to come and dwell with us. God, I pray today that you would pour out that gift in this place, that people who submit their lives and their hearts to you would be filled up with the very presence of God and that your guidance and your leadership and your voice and your direction would awaken in their lives. God, I thank you for who you are and what you're going to do. 120 knelt and prayed. 2.2 billion are a result. Lord, we thank you 
for who you are and what you can do when we submit our spirits to your spirit. Just move in this place in the next few moments, Lord Jesus. Pour out your spirit upon your people. song that just declares everything we read about in Acts today, everything that Peter preached, but it's also a response that just says, God, because your spirit is for all people, we ask that you would have your way in us. Whatever you want, whatever you ask, our lives are yours. Would you just stand with us this morning, and we're going to sing one more song of declaration to the Lord. Whatever you ask, 
Holy Spirit, I pray that your sovereign move would touch the hearts and lives of individuals all across this room. That this time that we've spent together today would not just be a church time, but Lord, for some today, there would be a resounding change in the way that they operate. That they would no longer be satisfied with a salvation and a church experience, but Lord, there would be an opening in some hearts today, Holy Spirit, that you would move in, that you would lead and guide in ways you never have before, all for the glory in the name of Jesus Christ, and all for the kingdom of God. Lord, we pray that a sovereign move would happen, that changes would be made not just today, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday to allow our spiritual men and women to be awakened by the gift that our Father has promised each and every one of us. You say that you did not give us a spirit of slavery when you called us, Lord, but you gave us a spirit of son and daughtership that would have us cry, Father, Abba, Father, Come into our lives and use us. So, Lord, I pray your spirit would continue to be poured out on your sons and daughters, not in a way that's manufactured by church leadership, but one that is made possible by the head of the church, Jesus Christ, to his people. God, we thank you for the time that we've spent together today. We thank you for this, your church that you've given us to be a blessing to one another. And Lord, we pray we would go from this place today seeking your spirit in order to impact our world for the kingdom of God. Dismiss us today with your blessing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Take my sin and shame There's
you as you 